If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> 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 That's a pretty strong, strong connection to your food. And it's really quite a humbling experience. Uh, and also, you realize that it does take a community to feed a family. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we are going to be chatting with Suzanne Crocker a little bit late, later about her documentary, First We Eat, fantastic uh, film there. It was a good one. I seen it myself. I watched it in a hotel in uh, in a shitty hotel in Kamloops, British Columbia. You had to be halfway to be, through my flight with no mask. You were hunting. Yes, I missed the interview because I was stuck on the base because of that god-awful five-kilometer elk retrieval. Funny, we were talking about hunting on the show quite a bit. Then. Yeah, well, you know, his first weed is, I mean, you know, her, shoots a moose. her husband tried to go out and shoot that moose. He almost missed the season. I mean, that's how close it comes, right? He got her, though. Yeah. Fucking ate that shit, too. Yeah, I had uh, missed the interview for the season. Yeah. Season's coming up again, I guess. What's the What day? season? The hunting season? There's another elk season, the 28, well, another elk, like, base thing, the January 25th. 26th that's gotta be a little riskier. That's pretty chilly, I bet. Yeah, I'm gonna keep an eye on the weather. I don't think the Chinooks quite blow it that far either. We'll see. Freeze is pretty full. Take another couple months off. I'm getting ready to get into some ice fishing too. Yeah, uh, Marie and I might try the the carnivore diet. I'm, 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 I'm leaning towards that. Reading the book. Have you ever have you ever so got in touch with any of these guys a, on Twitter? Does or? this mean you'll get a? Hunting license eventually, no, so you can feed I'm just going to just slide you under the table dough for meat. That's fine. Or I'll um, shovel your driveway or something. I'll trade Z's, yeah. I can't picture you shoveling my driveway. It'll be like three days late and half-ass. <laughs> oh, come on. I, uh, I haven't been by your place since you shoveled the shoveling go. That was rough. Was it? Yeah. How long did it take you? Uh, like 45 minutes from now. I do it in my shorts usually just to get that cold, you know, that real cold bite. I'll see you that guy. They're like, <laughs> the whole block's like, look at this guy. Shorts guy's out there again. <laughs> Do you wear your Grand America shirt at some least? Kids, some kids came by yesterday to shovel. I didn't even know it snowed the night before. Did they have masks on? And they're like knocking on the door. They're like, no, they didn't have masks on. And they're like, hey, we'll do this little part of your thing and we'll do the front uh, driveway for 20 bucks, they said. And I said, no way, 20 bucks. I'll give you 10. 20 bucks is steep. I don't know where the rates. I remember Grammy used to give us 10 bucks. Well, I told the guy, just do, don't take too much time. I gave him 10 bucks. I said, just make sure the sidewalk Plus it is hasn't done. even snowed The much. sidewalk. It was and like they an didn't inch. even do it. It was like The kids didn't even do the sidewalk. Really? That's what I need done. I don't care about my driveway. Well, I want the sidewalk first? done. So somebody doesn't slip in front of my house. I did mean, you pay him ahead of time? 
I did, yeah. And they just, I know. I know. I had to go. I was coming here. I had to go. So the, so you paid them and then they watched you drive away? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You did instant burn. I guarantee they're, <laughs> you're, surprised, you're, you're lucky they shoveled anything. I probably would just been like, fuck this, man. We just never come back to this place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you would have gave them the 20, they probably would have shoveled. But they were like, first he fucking counters us for 50%. <laughs> and then he just drives out of here. Packs down the snow a little more. If I wasn't in such a rush, I would have told him exactly what to do and, and maybe even and gave him a bit after. more. But, yeah. Yeah. And then you just, yeah. no, you don't just, have to give him more. You just pay him after. Even just, it. Yeah. And just yeah. kids. They I use. know. I just had to, I just had to run. And honestly, I was caught off guard because I didn't even know it snowed the night before. So. Do you like living a little, do you, do you, how often do you open your blinds? Every day, man. Every day? Yeah. Because didn't you come here? What? 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 Uh, don't let's let's not get into when are we it. Talking? Let's not get into it. That's fine. Whatever. I, I just didn't <laughs> it's know. Fine. I, was, I wasn't. <laughs> you don't want to go there? No. All right. So what do you got? Well, Suzanne I don't know, Crocker. man. Let's... It was a great doc. I watched the documentary. It was a great in interview too. Yeah. For the show. It was interesting. It's very interesting, man. Eating local. Like, what does it take to eat local? This family did it for a year. They just ate local for It'd a year. Much easier here. Because here you can get uh, honey, loads of honey locally. Yeah. And they had trouble with the sweetener. Yeah, they had trouble with the sweetener, but they figured it out and eventually. There's I mean, salt around here too. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if it's a, so. That's going to be the challenge with eating carnivores. You're not even. I guess I'm. I can use salt. I mean, here, how bad is this that I'm flip flopping back between vegan and carnivore? But I mean, either way, I got to cut back the carbs. You know, I'm going to try carnivore. For Why Maria, because I think both. Maria's really it's going to help Maria quite a bit. Just I'm no try. carbs. Yeah. Well, Why don't you just try eating what you want, but no carbs? Yeah, maybe. They're so good, though. I know. That's so Is engineered, a potato a engineered carb? for the mouthfeel. Is a potato a carb? I think so. I ain't giving up potatoes ever again. Have you ever been in touch with the carnivore guys on Twitter like or anything which like ones? that? All of them? All, any of them? Not really. It's not really something I've considered personally. Oh, okay. I kind of lean that way, and I my personal. Yeah, you were talking about it the other day. Yeah, like... my personal, like uh, I don't know what you would call it. My personal ideology on diet is that I can get by on on mostly meat and fat. That's what that's what this guy's saying. And everything else is sort of filler. And I eat a lot of meat, and we eat a lot of fat. So. But I mean, I like vegetables and stuff too, and I don't think they're giving me any problems. And I don't think vegetables are the problem because when, when I quit eating, not even like carbs per se, because I'm, I'm, I'm potatoes. I'm a big potato fan, especially in the winter. Big potato guy, and I'm not going to stop. I gave those up for a while and never again. I know they make me sleepy, and I'm okay with that. Same with white rice will make me sleepy. But I can like weaponize that and use it. I just have a bowl of white rice when I can't sleep. And it's just worth it sometimes. Sometimes when my dinner makes you sleepy, that's okay. I'm a little sleepy on the couch. I wouldn't want to have, say, rice or potatoes for lunch so much. I'd avoid that because I don't want to be sleepy in the afternoon. But, but by dinner time and after dinner, all bets are off, man, because I don't mind if I get sleepy. I fell asleep last night actually watching uh, that that great pyramid of Giza documentary about where they're saying it was all, all concrete, all different forms of concrete Giza. And it was like a technology that degraded through Greece and Rome. 
That makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I'm having trouble with the whole timeline. The history history timeline is wobbling for me again yeah, these I days. I know, me too. I see a bunch of those pictures about back in like the 40s and the 30s and 40s when they're excavating Rome. And I just don't understand how what the fuck Rome was doing under 40 feet of shit. I know. <laughs> so those are real pictures from... Yeah. And then and it I goes see, 40 I, feet down, yeah. There's no, there's no like... There's no historic explanation for why Rome was buried with shit. It was just supposedly it fell apart because of corruption and Christianity. The Pompeii thing is fits in with that, I think. It's, there's no explanation for the timeline of the way Pompeii It actually happened. fits in, too, with the, with the novel series I'm going through. It's one of those... Uh, fact based on fiction? Fiction based on fact? Yeah, well, I already went through a bunch of the Rome stuff, right? Or fiction based on possible facts. I don't know what of, they call it. It's yeah. like... Uh, Historical fiction? History. History. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Historical fiction, I guess. Yeah. I went through a couple Rome ones, and then, but lately I've been doing the Saxon stories or whatever they are. Uh, anyway, Bernard Cornwall. They're good stuff. And uh, it's just interesting because it, there's just these little tidbits and he's taken a lot of it out of his buddy's notes right and there's just a ton of tiebacks to buddy talking about how great the romans were how they can't they try and build on top of the roman shit and you can see where they started because it's shit and it's just like you know there's no i don't care how corrupt you are there's no explanation for the total loss of tech technology technology and expertise like, you shouldn't have lost all form of craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah. We should dig into that one of these days. You're talking about sort of the Tartaria. Tartaria, kinda. I guess, but it's mostly just because I got into the Rome. I started going down the Rome rabbit hole, and it was, I didn't even get into Tartaria then. Well, I just get, got into Rome. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get somebody on to talk about Rome from an alternative and perspective. And going through yeah. all the explanations of fucking Rome and then just seeing where, like, England is at a thousand years later is just it's like fucking puddle jumping you know there's no explanation for it and even Rome itself is falling apart at that point it seems more likely that those Roman priests just walked into that shit even in, in the, the Vikings episodes they had uh, in northern England I guess they had a like a cathedral type thing there and one of the Vikings was meeting the uh, one of the religious scholars of the time I guess down there and the king showed him the underground underground the castle and it was all this roman work like and he's like look this is what it used to be like and it was fascinating to see from a perspective of only eight or nine hundred a.d they were looking back at the roman history saying like yeah to me look exactly, at how advanced this was that's the exact time frame i'm talking about is that is is that time frame looking that back was and, around the saxons and, and wishing they could have that yeah yeah it's super fascinating to me. I never liked So it history. makes me think more that, like, the Christians found the fucking Rome. Oh. Further. Oh, you're thinking that goes. Found oh, it. You're thinking it's further back. Said it like, was theirs. Right, you know? right, and, right, and, right. And the, it didn't decay. They just took over the place. They just ended in it. Because it seems to be at that time when Christianity is still very culty. Yeah. Well, and the profane didn't know much back then, I don't think. I mean, it was societies for the initiated, you know, 
I think knowledge was hoarded quite way, way more than it is nowadays. Yeah, we should go down the Rome rabbit hole. Let's do that. Someone. Yeah, let's do that. All right, can I read some feedback? Because we got some stuff to discuss. Oh, just some feedback. Good feedback. And now another edition of the Grime American Goodies by the people. This is timely because we just put out a swap cast with the Snake Bros and Cosmographia with Randall Carlson. Snake at a bro. And Brad Young. Hey, my bros, I was put on your podcast by the mighty Snake Bros. I love you guys and look forward to your podcast every week. Please keep up the good work. Such relatable content and it's so good to feel part of your community. I've stumbled across UK Column Podcast recently and Sunday Wire. Reckon you guys would love the vibe. Good, insightful take on current affairs, possible guests for the show, maybe. Anyways, haven't reached out to you guys as I'm not in the habit of writing random fan mails, but I felt I had to say big thanks for everything you do. Too skint, too bung you dollars right now, but I'll make up for my lack of donations one day when I can. Peace. Peace to you. Peace be unto you. Thank you. And I got another, I got some other feedback here. I think this was in response to your sorry to see you go email that you send to people. Hey Darren, PayPal just canceled my monthly subscription for y'all with no reason. I still have a 222 subscription with y'all though, and I'll be renewing the one they just canceled as well. Been a long time listener, supporter. Graham read one of my trip reports concerning Salvia Divinorum, including lucid dreams, I think, on a Mothman episode a few years back. Graham Erica was the first podcast I got into, and y'all opened up a whole new world for me. Been loving the shows. I do miss more of the fringe interviews, but I feel like Graham that we have to push back. This is bullshit. And we'll only stop when we stop it. People like us need to be heard now more than ever. Love you guys. Frank. And uh, that was uh, in response. Oh, I thought there was another. That was in response to my sorry to see you go. Then he says, oh, and P.S. Yeah, and he sent back another one. I, along with almost half my family, caught COVID this summer. Oh, yeah, that's why I sent that to you. Guess what? We're still all alive and well. This is most definitely bullshit. The medicine is way worse than the disease. This is coming from someone who caught the disease. Love you guys. Keep going. And that kind of leads us into what we need to talk about because we, uh, you know, we realized that uh, we got one of our little YouTube videos deleted. Somebody, uh, and it was a, uh, it was a, it was that clip of the, the, uh, we got a first YouTube what was strength. his name again? What was it? What was his uh, position again? Pathologist. He was a pathologist that actually works on the PCR testing, I think. And he was pushing back in Alberta, but Darren put it on our YouTube feed and we got it deleted. Anyways, you know, we're seeing people get deleted. So if we want to talk about vitamin D or invermesitin or health and wellness from a natural perspective, it's more risky right or now than talking about shit. all kind of stuff. Not being pedos, but like abducting pedos. You think that'll fall into the category? So anyways, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, there's been a bunch of stuff that we haven't gone near in Grimerica, just not for any real reason, but there's just sort of stuff we haven't got into. That's just a little darker. And we're getting into the COVID that. stuff, and it seems to be con- too controversial for. The co- you know, I'm, I mean, and I'm thinking even more than COVID. There's about to be a major, major pushback on vaccines. Yes, 
yeah. which I think we're going to be majorly pushing back up against. And the 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 email, you know, it affected our ability to go live for a week and things like that. Oh, did it? And the next one, I don't know, could be six months. And it's like, you know, we don't really care about the video so much, but I know, you know, there's 60 or 70 people that enjoy tuning into that. I mean, hundreds of people watch them. Thousands of people watch some of them. But it's a, you know, it's a good interface to go live and interact with the audience with a bunch of people enjoy now. But plus, and it's, it'll be it's a shame all, to start losing that. But plus, it could be like this stuff with PayPal or with the podcast well, feed, the or if we start pushing back too hard against vaccines and COVID, like we're we're just right now we're stealthily under the radar. But how long are we going to stay like that for? Right? Maybe yeah, we not have long. concerns, and we're at the point now where, as if you know, we did take a hit like that, that would you know, affect us quite a bit to the point where it would probably affect our ability to continue podcasting. You know, it'd be a pretty big hit right now to say have our PayPal ability taken down or our, our, our feed, feed or, taken down yeah. or anything. I mean, like that. YouTube you know, channel is one thing, but that's really just a repository of our live streams, really. Yeah, you know? so we decided, you know, we don't want to stop doing that stuff. But we also don't want to risk the eight years of work we've built sort of building Grimerica, which, which to be fair, hasn't been built on a lot of that stuff. It's like very small percentage of what we do here in Grimerica is the COVID and the more hardcore controversial conspiracy stuff. Um, and then we've got this sort of black budget feed lying around for a while that, you know, originally started to be sort of a members thing and, and to try and stimulate more support years ago and without paywalling and, and things like that. And lately it's become sort of more of a dumping ground for editing to help with our editing process for the audiobooks because you guys can listen to that. It's extra content for you guys. And then we get feedback on them during the editing process, which helps us correct or, you know, ground fucked up here. Or you missed a thing there or, or whatever. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to pull those audiobooks. And we're going to make them available to our supporters in a different method, probably through a password protected website page with some downloadable links, things like that. Um, remove them from the B black budget feed altogether for copyright reasons, which I think we would have probably had to do inevitably eventually anyway. Um, and we're going to, kind of repurpose that feed, rename it and publish it properly, publish it properly. Cause right now it's only navigable by, by link, link or through the Grimerica website. There's a player in there, which there still will be. And, uh, we're going to make the Grimerica. I think we settled on Grimerica outlawed. Yeah. We're going to call it something else like, but it'll have the Grimerica name. It'll have a similar artwork to the black budget artwork. Um, we Naps were talking about the art tonight. We were talking about different names, like my one of my favorites was Rogue Not Works. Too late now. Rogue we Works, with, but we went with Outlawed. Yeah, grammar. The arts Outlawed. in process, right? The arts. Yeah, we like that's Rogue, why but there's that. a bunch of uh, connotations with Rogue. Yeah, yeah, about half the definitions for Rogue and in, in, include dishonest. I kind of <laughs> wanted Works in there somehow, like almost like a Skunk Works, like Rogue Works, you know. But Outlawed oh. Works, yeah, well, I don't know. Grim Works. Grim Works. Oh, that's what it was like originally. What? That's a oh, that's <laughs> right. That's right. I forgot about that. Jordan's like, fuck you, Graham. <laughs> Graham works, yeah. He made it all like that. Did I suggest that or was that Jordan? That I can't remember. Huh. But anyway, I digress. The point is, we're going to redo that feed and we're going to start throwing all of our COVID stuff in there. 
and it's going to be in iTunes and every, we're going to publish it every place so that everyone can get access to it. We're going to build it its own website, its own PayPal. It'll be, you know, it'll still be free. It'll all be value for value. Because there is other content that we want to do too. We want to read some articles. I've got some articles read that we want to put in there. That but we're it's not a sure too... what to do with. Yeah. And then there's some studies. I want to read some studies on vitamin D and all the scary things like natural cures, you know, that would be censored. I mean, can you imagine that? We're at the point yeah, now where you've got to worry time, about studies on vitamins. We don't want to have people come on the show for an interview if it's only for a, a, a secret feed and they're only getting, you know, a few hundred people listening to it. So we're going to publish that feed, open it up, hopefully get you guys sharing it and moving around and all that stuff. It'll remain the same as it is now. That feed will be the same as it is now, but it'll have a new website, a new name. So, anybody, so everybody that has access doesn't have to do a thing about it. No, nothing will change there. Yeah, that's good. Too. That's good. That's a good question. But it'll probably start becoming a lot more regular because we're going to, you know, that's where our vaccine and our COVID and the more controversial things are going to go. And the Grand America stuff will just keep pushing forward with the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I had a question for you there. Hmm. If you hate it, let us know. But you know that's kind of what we came up with. Well, how are we going to entice? How are we going to entice donations now? This way, we keep everything value for value. Well, I don't know. We had kind of stopped using it to entice donations a while ago. Yeah, oh, it's been almost. It wasn't year. there for that either. But now it's officially not there for yeah. that. No one can accuse us of it being there. But we that. still want to stay value for value and not have ads. And I mean, a lot of these podcasts that I listen to, even they have ads, and it drives me nuts. I can fast forward them all the time. Like we don't want to do that. Yeah, we need. I don't the want support. to be shilling that for companies, said, right? We, we need the support. So you know, all of a sudden, this is going to be more work, more cost, more. I mean, we were effort. considering putting it on another server, but our own server. But that's just a little bit more now. So if something happens with this one, then we'll probably have to go to that. Yes, and I got a guy actually that's going to work on uploading all our videos and all that stuff to the. All those different platforms, all our own videos and audios to like library and all that stuff. I forget who. Next, I'll give him a shout out next episode because I don't have his name handy, but we appreciate that. And of course, big shout out to I Shaman who is making it available and easily downloadable for him to do that. He's got our whole YouTube back catalog downloaded. Yeah, that's unreal. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Too. I mean, honestly, the people in the chats have been fantastic and. Um, I wish I could spend more time in there. Anyway, this is what we came up with. It probably means more content because we'll probably try and get in the swing of at least bi-weekly on the one feed. And it's no less. Yeah, the same. It's no less than, well, I mean, it's it's probably a little less, but it's no less than weekly in the regular feed. Yeah. Probably a little less than there is now because we have so much coming out. I mean, we have, we're sort of backlogged as it is right now as well. Yeah. Anyway, it'll be a bunch more episodes and new feed. It'll be fun. There won't be intros or anything like that. It'll just be the interviews. And, uh, yeah, that's that. So it'll probably be com. I highly doubt that's taken. Wouldn't that be something if that URL was taken? Motherfucker. Yeah. I think we're pretty safe when we go with our own branding. And I mean, honestly, with the website, it could just be grammerica.outlaw.com or slash outlaw.com because I'm not worried about the website. Websites on our servers protected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's everything else, the PayPal and all those things. So it'll have a new support page, probably 
Well, that's why it needs to have a new page because it has to have new PayPal and everything. Yeah. yeah so it'll be yeah. like grammaricaoutlawed.com slash support. Yeah, we'll put or new links and everything. And we'll, we'll probably talk be about .ca. We'll yeah. .com a point. I'll get the pointer. But it's coming. We're going to roll out 2021 with the new feed, a side-by-side uh, sister show to the Grammaric show. Uh, hopefully it won't get said to have its own YouTube channel and everything. All that. It'll have, it, we're not going to get new Twitters and everything, but we'll have a new YouTube channel. It'll be that black budget RSS feed. And, uh, yeah. Bingo, bango. What you got? Uh, I got a quote from Charlie Robinson. Charlie? Charlie Robinson. Speaking of Charlie, we'll be talking to him in just a minute, eh? I think so, yeah. Profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week. Okay. Can you guess You might be able to guess this. Power is of two kinds. One is obtained by the fear of punishment, and the other by the acts of love. Power based on love is a thousand times more effective and permanent than the one derived from fear of punishment. Julius Caesar. <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Close. And that's about it. There you have it. So uh, there's no outro to this one. Darren, you want to do one quickly or just say right now this is going to end abruptly? Does it end abruptly? Yeah, because I put a note in the show notes that there's no outro. So this is the outro. This, please support the show, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't you have done an outro? Because it was, I was scrambling to, you, know, you were here, I think, at the time. or I don't know. Something was going on. I had to get off. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, this thanks is for listening. Yeah. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>tonight we've got suzanne crocker with us um she made a documentary called first we eat it's fantastic divine timing it came out uh i guess a couple years a couple years ago now or last year but uh it's good to talk to you suzanne thanks for joining us yeah thanks it's good to be there just it actually just uh had its world premiere in may oh right right oh you made okay yeah that's right yeah yeah Yeah, you made it uh yeah it was made 
Okay, good. I saw the on the on the Vimeo. I saw nine months ago. That's what kind of confused me there. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. We, I mean, Darren and I both watched it. We loved it because you're in, you're in uh, basically north of us. I mean, I was looking on the map before we started. It was you're from Dawson City, right? So you're up there. Yeah, we're about three hundred kilometers south of the Arctic Circle. So up on the border of of Alaska, and um, yep, sixty four degrees north, pretty far. Yep. I mean, honestly, I'd like to congratulate you for the documentary. It was a pleasure to see that. And I think it was a great idea. Like, was it your idea to start? Oh, you bet. It certainly yeah. wasn't my family's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, yeah, it's really interesting how you kind of just, I could tell that you were just like, okay, this is something very important to do. It's very important to document. I mean, it really was just a great way to document your experience. Yeah, I, I love documentary as a way of um, storytelling and also a way of, of sharing, really. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into what happened. So I was just searching online here quickly. You're 31 hours. So you, you're 2,700 kilometers from us. This is how big Canada is, right? You're really just northwest of us, but you're 2,700 kilometers away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you can imagine, therefore, you know, how far our food comes when it's, it's trucked in, because it probably most of it doesn't originate where you are. It is even, you know, yep. a few thousand kilometers from you. So yeah, yeah, by the time it gets to us, oh my gosh. So let's talk about, let's just give, give the listeners an overview of the, of the movie. And, uh, oh, and I'd like to say before we get into it, Darren is actually just pulling a, an elk off the military base in five kilometers of snow. So we couldn't make it tonight just to let everybody know he's out there hunting with some friends. So, so that's let's uh, really kind of, that's really kind of uh, opportune considering the topic of exactly. our discussion. Today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's been doing it all year. He's been living off. He's been really, he's got meat. He's learned how to make sausages. He's, I mean, that's probably why this film interested him so much. I mean, this is probably the one show he really wanted to make. Um, usually he doesn't do all the research I do, but he's been making sausage and canning things and, uh, and jerky and, you know, steaks. And I helped him the other day. I helped him sort of skin a, a deer, which is my first experience at that. I'm not, I'm not one to really hunt, but I think it's a, a skill that's probably good to learn. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's good to understand that meat doesn't really come on a styrofoam package covered in, in cellophane. Yeah. And, uh, and especially, you know, for those of us that choose to eat meat, it's, it's good to understand actually where it comes from. Yeah, exactly. Be a part of that process. So that's yeah. great. Congratulations. Yeah. So what, uh, you know, your, your movie was inspired by an event, I guess, but do you want to talk about the, um, the overarching kind of theme of it and then we can dig into it a little bit? Sure. So, so it's called First We Eat. And um, basically, I decided to take every little bit of grocery store food out of our house for an entire year up in Dawson City in the Yukon and only live on food that can be grown, raised, gathered, hunted, fished uh, around Dawson. And important to know, I think we already mentioned that we're 300 kilometers south of the Arctic Circle. And also important to know that I have a family of five that includes three teenagers, one of whom 
you know, was a 17 year old six foot son who was trying to pack away 4,000 to 6,000 calories a day. So you can imagine how it went over when I said all the grocery store food was leaving for a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, also important to know that we have only about 66 consecutive frost-free growing days. Wow. So that's it. To, yeah. Just to put that in perspective, although I have to say, because we're blessed with you know, almost 24 hours of daylight in the summer. It may be short, but it's an intense growing season because things can grow day and night. So, so that definitely, definitely helps. That is but interesting. Yeah, so yeah. is there literally no, does the sun, like you can see the sun all night or? Yeah, it, it yeah, at, you know, at the, the height of solstice, the end of June. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it just never gets dark. Wow. In fact, you can travel up to what we call the midnight dome. Yeah. Um, in Dawson and uh, on solstice and you can just watch the sun go around the horizon. And no way. Sun. Really? Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. That's awesome. So what about the nighttime in the, in the winter then, or, you know, is it the same in the winter? So there's a lot of nighttime in the winter for sure. We don't have 24 hours of darkness ever, but we do have, I would say six, a good six weeks where the sun doesn't get above the horizon. And so our daylight is more like dusk for oh, about wow. five hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when that sun starts to peak up, we're in a valley. So so when the sun starts to to peak up over the hills, the end of January again, people actually will go and stand in the spot where the sun is shining. Like there'll be a specific spot, and people will just stand in it and bask. <laughs> in minutes, and then after the end of January, you know, the sun comes back in spades, like. 10 extra minutes a day until we have beautiful blue skies and lots of sunshine and, you know, end of February, March and April. So lovely. It really made me feel like this is why the ancients and the ancient peoples, and there was all the, the seasonal worship and people knew when the seasons were changing and when everything was happening, because it's so important. It's so different between winter and summer for you guys and even spring. And like you said, just seeing that sun change and come this way and, and the drastic change, 10 minutes a day is a, a lot. I noticed yeah. it here yeah. compared to being in Vancouver. I noticed in Calgary, it did, it, it changes quite a bit too. And it's still light, light out at 11 o'clock, uh, sometimes a little later in the summer, but yeah, really notice the seasonal changes. Yeah, for sure. And and with those long hours of daylight in the summer, you literally can almost watch things grow in the garden wow. because it's it's so intense. So that's pretty cool too. But yeah, you do when you're you know, when you're living off of only food that can be produced in your own areas, um, you really become quite acutely aware of the weather and the seasons and especially when it comes to food from the land, you know, foraged food. Um like those things, often they're only available for about two weeks, each of these foraged foods. So there's no procrastinating allowed right. opportunity. Yeah, that's a good point. So how did you decide the, your radius around Dawson City? You know, I, I wanted to just use the area that we would normally hunt fish gather from and the food producers that are associated with Dawson it yep. turns out to be about 100 miles or 150 kilometers yep. but I didn't set out a specific radius but that just turns out to be the 
the general the general area yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah and, um, yeah and uh and and it also turns out like dawson is on the traditional territory of the toronto Quichin, and so um basically it's kind of the territory of the toronto Quichin that right. we got our food from so right right and did something happen one year that uh the road blocked or something and you guys because you know, you hear all these stories about, oh, the grocery stores only have three days of food and, you know, you're only going to go three days if something happened. Yeah, I think, you know, I think up north um, that vulnerability really hits home, you know, when the the road gets closed or if you're further north, if the plane or the ship gets weathered out because you do start to see the food go off the shelf pretty fast. So back in, well, 2012, I think, was the first time that I was aware when the road was um, shut down for a few days from a landslide. And and in the big box stores in Yukon's capital of Whitehorse, like the grocery store shelves were going bare within 48 hours. So that was pretty, pretty remarkable. We were a little saved in Dawson, but only because one of our grocery store owners actually out of pocket paid for a plane to bring in a shipment of food from Edmonton to Dawson. So that was a pretty big personal donation. Yeah. Um, but other, you know, since then there's been times when the road into Dawson's been closed from, you know, from flooding or forest fire. And again, you really notice when, when those trucks don't come in because 97% of our food is, is trucked in. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so that was a, a real wake up call for me to, to realize and start thinking about where our food comes from, because there's a carbon footprint to that. Um, there's a vulnerability to that. And there's also a nutritional aspect to that. When I was doing my research into this, I discovered that 50 to 75% of the nutrients in fresh greens are lost within five days of picking. So that really made me think if I'm buying fresh spinach in my grocery store up here in Dawson in February, like how much nutrition is, is left. left in yeah. that. Yeah. And I was also, you know, inspired by days gone by, you know, prior, well, prior to colonization, of course, the indigenous people here ate a hundred percent off the land for thousands of years, of yeah. course. So yeah. Uh, and then even, you know, a hundred or so years ago, before there were, were roads up to the Yukon, when you had to come by over the Chilkoot Pass and by, by steamship, um, Dawson produced 97% of its own food. And so we've kind of done a total about face and become more and more reliant on, on foods that are trucked in. So, you know, the combination of recognizing our vulnerability and the implications of that with being inspired by what we used to be able to do in the past made me wonder if we could still do it again. So that was, that was the challenge that I, I put to myself. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's what it was, huh? That's very interesting. I, it made me think of how, because of your climate as well, like maybe how the Vikings or some of the Northern peoples would have lived off the land without electricity. Like it seemed like it wasn't too far off what they would have had to, to do except for electricity, which, you know, didn't make, didn't seem to make that much of a difference with what you were doing. I mean, besides uh, like even the way some of your stuff was refrigerated underground um, in that, uh, 
in that tra uh, trailer kind of um, thing there. And then, and then um, a lot of the farm, you know, the farming, some of the farming equipment and all that, of course, technology made a difference, but yeah, I feel like you'd still did things in somewhat of a primitive way as well. Yes. And, you know, interestingly, the previous documentary that I did all the time in the world, also about my family, was when we took our kids when they were 10, 8, and 4, and we um, went into the Yukon bush to live in a small, <laughs> totally off-grid, no electricity, no running water, no phone, no internet cabin for nine months over the winter. So in that case, you know, we were cooking with wood stove and hauling our water from the creek. And uh, so this in a way kind of feels like, like um, part two of that, of that experience. But a lot of our, our um, farmers here also live on the far sides of rivers that sometimes aren't accessible other than by by boat in the summer and um and many of them are farming off grid so that has its own challenges of course and then you know there's um the trondequichin um are really doing an amazing job at revitalizing traditional knowledge and sharing it to the youth of our community and to everybody really. And so, you know, some of those ways go back to days when there wasn't a lot of amenities. So, you know, learning how to s smoke fish, for example, yeah. and preserve it that way, yeah. things like that. So, yeah, yeah it's, um, I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I feel that the pandemic has made us all really aware of uh, the length of the food chain. Yeah. Um, and the need to shorten it and um, how much we need to be able to rely on what we have in our own communities, especially in times of crisis uh, and, and how important it is to rely on our own communities for the staples and the things that, that will help us survive. And also just how much knowledge there is in our own communities. If we just seek it out, you know, whether that be the in indigenous communities, the local farmers, the gardeners, people who who are older and remember a, a previous day when th things were done differently and everybody had a root cellar and everybody canned and everybody had a meat locker. Like these are all really valuable resources. Yeah. And not only do you get it all locally, but you meet all the people that you get it from. And that sort of builds more of a community and some trust around, you know, exactly where you're where your food is coming from. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I mean, I, I knew where every single ingredient on my plate came from and not just, you know, knowing theoretically, but I, I knew the people who helped put it there. I knew how they, they farmed, how they treated their animals. I knew their animals. <laughs> I knew the geography. I sometimes, you know, was a place where I had been gathering food myself. So, um, yeah, that that's a pretty strong, strong connection to your food. And it's um, really quite a humbling experience. Uh, and also, you, you realize that it does take a community to feed a family. And, and I think, I hope anyway, that what the film shows is not only, you know, my personal journey and my family's journey trying to do this through the the tears and the laughter um 
and the stress, but also I hope the film really highlights all the amazing initiatives that this community is doing, both the Trondequichin and our local farmers, uh, to make our community more food secure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so did you, it seemed to take a lot of planning. I mean, did you plan on, you must have planned on when the start and the finish was because you wanted to go a year. I mean, I remember halfway through your family was kind of challenging you and you're deciding whether, you know, look, if you guys, you wanted to keep going and um, obviously it was, it was a good, it was good to see the family camaraderie as well through the whole thing and and everybody learning and growing, but what, how did you do it physically through the season? Like, did you start it in May or June? I don't think I caught that in the film when you actually started. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, um, it's kind of vague in the film because really you start prepping and gathering. Like I say, when things are ready, which, which wasn't necessarily the, the official start date. So, oh, okay. But um, we started in the summer and yeah. the following summer. Yeah. And it was important, of course, for me to go a whole year because, you know, if you think about eating local to your community, you know, no, probably almost no matter where you live in Canada, um, it's not that hard to think about it in the summer and fall, but it's a lot harder to think about where you're going to find your food in February or January. So a year was definitely important to get from one growing season to the next. Um, and then yeah, I just, you know, I thought I'd start at a time of plenty, but um, which in many ways was the right decision, but also it, make it made it really challenging because not only was I, well, I mean, one thing, a few things you have to know about me is that like, I was not a cook. I was not a gardener. I was not a forager. I mean, I went into this as a blank page. So not only was I having to learn how to do things like make my own butter and, you know, how I was going to find sweeteners without sugar. And, um, but I was also having to harvest and preserve enough food for a family of five for a whole year, all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, yeah. cooking for this family that can eat for nine I'm sure it was equivalent of feeding nine and and when you have to like when you have to make every little bit of snack food you know it's not just the breakfast lunch and dinner but all that snack food and then all the bare ingredients that go into making that food often you're trying to make those from scratch so it was totally overwhelming at first I you yeah. know there's no other other yeah. way around it but um, but I continue to do this every year. Like I still stock our house with a year's worth of food and now it's not overwhelming. Now it, it, it takes a bit of time, but certainly totally manageable. Yeah. Well, that's one of the questions I had right after watching the thing, the film is, um, is how long would it take to get to, for that to become normal or for you to get into a routine where you feel efficient and you're not going through those learning curves. So it's, it's, you're still doing it. Yeah. Still doing it. And this is what, three years, yeah. three years later, so I mean, yeah. you know, not a hundred percent anymore, but I'd say I still eat 90% local to my community wow, and great. my family is probably 70 to 75%. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when the 
pandemic hit earlier this year and people were starting to worry about supplies from stores, I felt incredibly fortunate because I had put away again, a year's worth of food. So, you know, other than the toilet paper, which I guess we could have used moss if we had to, um, I didn't need to go to the store. So that also really hit home again for me, just, um, you know, how important this is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, the timing is impeccable to do this documentary. I mean, it's really amazing that because this has been all, on everybody's mind. What happens if yeah. if things get cut off? I mean, not only are we sort of stuck at home. I mean, tonight we're going through more of a. We just heard that there's more of a lockdown here in in uh, in Alberta, and but not only that, but you know, if if the supply chains get messed up, how are people going to do it? And and I was shocked at the amount of storage. Like when you showed how much food you're actually storing, I felt like that's a lot. Like, isn't that too much? But you, you, you go through it all. I mean, I was shocked at how much you go through. Yeah. Yeah. It, when you have your year's worth of food under one roof, it's, it's pretty astounding actually how much you do go through. Um, and, and storage is, is a huge issue. You know, I mean, it's not, like not everybody of course can store a a moose and a pig and 35 chickens and 30 chum salmon not to mention a year's worth of vegetables and berries under their roof you know i mean that's just not practical for the majority of people but i think that you know comes to one of the main choke points like i mean stores are called stores because they store things for us yeah but if those stores or or the farmers producing things could store the local food you know in in root cellars or community cold rooms and whatnot and um or or big freezers then you know you could go back to something reasonable where you you get your week's worth of meat and your week's worth of vegetables yeah but at least it's still come from your own community yeah, yeah. You know? and if it was harvested in the summer maybe it's flash freeze frozen and so you can still get your local broccoli or zucchini in the winter it's just frozen from when it grew in the summer so i think that's one of the the key points because then you don't have to be you know importing your garlic from china and your cucumbers from mexico like yeah they, yeah this doesn't make sense i mean so how, how many people are in Dawson city approximately? Depends who you ask, but I'd say the winter population is around 1500. Okay. So how, how, how do you think that could scale up? Like if you were able to like, just in your own estimation by going through this, just with your, with your large family, I mean, could you, could you scale that up to all of Dawson city? Would it be possible? Would it be like, or would it be, you know, 500 people, a thousand people, or could you do 10,000? Like, I have no idea personally how, you know, how possible it would be to just feed a whole community and how big you could get. Yeah, I definitely, that was on my mind through this whole experiment. And, and I talked to the farmers about that. And I talked to the conservation officers, you know, as, as to the food from the land, you know, if it would sustain us, if everybody was, was eating local, like my family did. And, um, I mean, certainly we couldn't, we couldn't do a cold Turkey. No, 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 no. Yeah. But, but I, I do think it's possible. Like the farmers definitely feel that, um, 
you know, if we decided as a community to go that route or if we were forced to go that route, that they could produce more and more. Um, And uh, when I talked to the conservation officers, they also thought that, you know, between the moose and the caribou and the grouse and the rabbits, um, that 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 would also help sustain and supplement us as a whole community. So I, I do think it's possible. I think it would, you know, it would mean eating in moderation for sure. It also means um, making use of the whole animal, which I think is important regardless. Like yeah, yeah. If you just, you know, if you just um, butcher a, a, a pig um, or a moose for the the roasts and the steaks, there's so much other nutritional value that you're missing out on. You know, there's the incredible nutrition and flavor and the bones and the marrow and the blood and the organs and the brain and the nose. Yeah. Yeah. So, so once you start, you know, not just thinking roasts and steaks, once you start thinking whole animal, like that animal actually can go much, much farther to, to feeding um, a family or a community. So yeah, after, you know, after doing this experiment, after talking to the farmers about it, after talking to the conservation officers about it, I do think it would be possible for, for Dawson to, to be able to feed itself if we chose or or had to, but it it would mean changing, of course, how we, how we, um, how we eat. (laughs) Oh, and store. I mean, it would be a lot of logistical changes for sure, but I was just curious you know, and, and you've answered the question about how, 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 how far could you scale this up without it becoming non-local kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. and, 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 and have it sustainable. I mean, you wouldn't want to just, you know, hunt your way out of the area or, or overfish or over farm or, you know. You know. Yeah, it definitely has to be sustainable for sure. Um, and, um, and, and I mean, that's the kind of, you know, har- farming and harvesting that does go on here. So, so that's great. Everybody who does that here is well, well aware of that. Um, so yeah, that, that would be, that would be key. But I think it also brings up questions then, um, as far as like, you can take it you know, how many steps you take it from in, in the local department. So if you want to go all the way local, <laughs> then you also need to be thinking about seed, saving seeds, yeah. which, um, which has an advantage because the seed adapts over time to this climate. So that's very valuable. Um, and also wanting to think about local fertilizer options and so people who are raising livestock that produces fertilizer that can fertilize the, the crops, which is great. And also producing um, feed, you know, for the, for the livestock. And, and we have, um, you know, a couple of people now who are getting pretty good at, at growing hay, despite our really short growing season. I yeah, mean, people yeah. who grow hay in Alberta would, would just roll their eyes as to what <laughs> the farmers up here have to deal with to grow hay, but they can still manage, you know, and, and some grains too. So yeah, you know, you, you, depending how far you want to take it, you have to think of that whole, that whole ecosystem. But I, I do think, I do think it's possible to move in that direction for sure. Yeah. And you're, you're, I mean, talk about 
cows and feeding and all. You you were able to taste milk with, or you taste what the cow had eaten through the milk, the different milks. <laughs> yeah, like like yeah. I mean, th- we have the northernmost dairy in North America. Wow. And um, the Saddlers moved to our area only a few years before this experiment started. So when I first had the idea brewing, we had no dairy cows here, of course. Who thinks about dairy cows in the far north? So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to do this year dairy-free, which would be a huge challenge for me because I'm a a dairy lover. But fortunately for me, the Saddlers moved in with with, um, one and then a second dairy cow and, uh, and the herd gradually built from there. So, so I uh, had access to milk, which was amazing because when you have access to milk, then you have access to making your own butter and your own yogurt and your own ice cream, even, uh, and your own cheese. So, so that was, that was brilliant. So yes. Uh, and, and, and yeah, talk about that, that connection to your food. I could literally tell like the, the milk would taste a bit different throughout the year based on what the cows were eating, if they're out in pasture in the wow. summer or, or if they were, you know, eating um, more silage in the winter. So that, and, and even depending what they were grazing on, you could tell the difference. So that's just super cool. Yeah. I'm sure my, my taste buds just really came alive and, and became super sensitive um during that year especially living without salt yeah one of you were saying that you you finally stopped craving salt i can't remember if that was you or your daughter yeah that's right i mean it took a few months and at first of course everything tasted incredibly bland because even if you don't add salt to your cooking which most of us do anything that we buy you know canned has got a fair amount of salt in it. So we're, we're always having all this salt. So you take that away. Food initially tastes incredibly bland, but then, then something transforms and then, then your taste buds come alive again. And then you start to really be able to taste the flavors of the food. And that's just so cool. You know, like tomatoes started to taste salty and spinach started to taste salty and, and all these vibrant flavors just shone forth and it was so, so delicious. Oh, that's fascinating because these foods are engineered for us, salt, sugar, fat, you know, the, the stuff that's coming mass produced, that's not even it's half half fake food is hardly even real. It's engineered for those taste buds and it's just, it's there to get you and keep you eating. So it's good to know that if, if you stop that, that your whole thing will change over, you know? Yeah, that's right. You just, you just have to put up with it for a couple of months and then you're home free. My, my husband came up with a, a theory, you know, that maybe things like all these spices and sauces were in, were created to um, camouflage the taste of bad food and uh, take those away. And, you know, the food has to speak for itself then. Right, right. So speaking of that, the healthy part of this, I mean, I was waiting to hear what what would happen and you you definitely felt the difference. Um, I don't know how, I mean, I know your husband lost a lot of weight at first. I don't know if he gained it all back or not, but but did the kids notice a difference health-wise too? And maybe you can talk about some of the positive health impacts that you had experienced directly. 
Sure. Well, I'll just say we didn't get scurvy and we didn't starve. (laughs) (laughs) There's the spoiler alert. Um, Yeah, no, I felt tremendously healthy. Um, So the, for, for me, you know, without having to think about it or, or work on it, my weight, you know, I lost a little bit of weight, but it stabilized and stayed at quite a healthy weight. And um, I used to have high blood pressure and have to take medication for it. And when I was eating 100% local, I was able to go off all my medication and my blood pressure has remained normal ever since. So that was kind of the most dramatic change I saw. But also, you know, just energy level really was was good. And, and that was interesting to me because, of course, there's no local source of caffeine up north. So it meant giving up caffeine mm-hmm. entirely. And it made me realize what a, you know, what a crutch it had been in my, in my life before then. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, rec- like a recovering caffeineaholic. Um, but without it, you know, you don't have that excuse to stay up super late and get all those things done when you should really be going to bed because your body's telling you that you're tired. So you just, go to bed when you're tired and then you end up having better sleep yeah and better sleep too yeah yeah for sure so yeah so i felt great um and that's you know one of many reasons why i've i've continued continued on this course now yeah you're right my husband he lost it was most dramatic at first he lost 15 pounds a month for the first two months (laughs) And, um, and I think that was just like in the first three months we had zero grains. Yeah. Uh, we had very, I mean, there was no sugar. There was some birch syrup and a little bit of honey, uh, for sweetener. So you take out the grains, you take out the sugar and yeah, it just kind of melted off of them, Yeah, which was which was super, super interesting. Almost keto. I wonder, I wonder if he actually just went into ketosis then. Yeah, like the, like the keto diet is so popular. It seems like that was, you know, a lot, a lot of that is just cutting out those grainy carbs and those, um, you know, the simple carbs and the sugars. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, we still had, you know, we still ate a lot of potatoes and stuff like that. So it wasn't an entire. Right. Yeah. 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 And the honey and you still had the honey and stuff. Yeah. 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 But I think, yeah, I just, I, to me, it just sort of shows like how influential, I guess, all the bread products and yeah. grain products and the sugars that are in the foods that we eat, like how much that makes a difference. And the other thing that like just flipping to the end of the year, um, I, at the end of the year, a friend made us a batch of chocolate chip cookies because we hadn't had a chocolate chip cookie for a year. And I, I had a bite and one bite was like a total sugar rush. (laughs) Wow. Like my insulin level obviously had totally regulated for this low amount of sugar. And it made me think it's kind of sad that I used to be able to eat six of those cookies and not even notice it. Whereas now one bite was a total sugar rush. So that also made me think, Whoa, like in my normal diet, I was consuming a lot of sugar without even realizing that and, and not just like natural sugars like honey or syrup it was like refined white sugar i guess would be in most of the stuff right yeah yeah, yeah. and just in, every, in everything yeah yeah 
or or the corn or the corn syrup or whatever they call that. Uh, yeah. 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 I think that's one of the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you are you are you guys doctors, too? Or were you doing um, doc med- medicine there uh, yeah. in the past? Did that because no, it. Not- did this it's whole not a thing give you route to becoming a filmmaker? But... No, I know, I know. Um, it's hard, to, it's hard to picture in some ways. But did it really? Did this change your view on health at all from a doctor's perspective or from a a medical professional perspective? You know, in, in some regards, for sure. I mean, I think certainly realizing like the sugar load and the carb load and the effects of that, for sure. Um, and also like you know the question as to why my high blood pressure resolved is not doesn't have a clear answer right <laughs> um like it it wasn't going off caffeine necessarily cuz i tried that before and it didn't work i'm not sure it was the no salt because we're still getting salt in the meat and fish that we're eating and and i think um you know the the salt and high blood pressure thing has gotten a little weaker in the scientific yeah. medical community as to the link there. Salt um, seems to be making a comeback. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, not too much, obviously, but um, so that could have had something to do with it. I don't know. And, and I was having a really heavy red meat diet and I did check, like I checked my blood work every three months. You were having a heavy I, red meat diet during this phase or before? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. all our protein is animal based. Yeah. There's no protein we can produce here that's not. So you know, between the moose and the and and the pork and the well, there was chicken and fish too, but yeah. moose is the staple. Um, but my cholesterol, you know, was totally fine throughout the year, even though it was a high animal fat, high yeah, red yeah, meat diet. Interesting. So that was interesting. But there is a theory um, now about the microbiome. I don't know if you've heard that theory or not, but it's the yeah. kind of a natural flora and bacteria that are in our guts. Yeah. And there's a theory that as we've come to eat more and more processed food, that microbiome has changed and yeah. that that is leading to a lot of health issues. Yeah. So one theory for why my blood pressure resolved is that that microbiome came back to a more natural balance and therefore my blood pressure also went back to normal. So, you know, who, who, who knows, but it's interesting to, to think about all these things and the, maybe some of the more subtle and hidden implications of, of what we choose to eat that we're not even aware of. Yeah, I've I've also heard some studies of we we got into this a couple of years ago when we were into more of the biohacking stuff and and uh like Ben Greenfield and some top athletes and they had, you know, guests on where they talk about the studies about uh gut biome and your ancestry and where you're where you're from like if you're from the north like that your your gut can handle different carbs and different things than somebody from the equator. And quite it, or even your genes coming from from those areas. So it's it's interesting to yeah. to yeah, see the impact. Lot, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I think um, that also just ties into again, like local local eating. I think is so important, and what we can produce where we live is different than what you can produce where you live, but. So, so you can't, you know, you can't just sort of take one brush and paint the whole food 
issue globally yeah. one solution because it doesn't doesn't always work like for example i understand um you know the i understand veganism and i understand people's um some people's uh wish to have less meat-based diets yeah. a whole for a whole bunch of reasons yeah and in many places in the world that probably makes a lot of sense yeah in the north that doesn't make any sense because again there's no protein that we can produce that's not animal based so if you're going to get rid of all animal based protein then we're shipping stuff up from who knows where no idea how it's been produced or processed and isn't at all natural to our climate um and i'm not so sure that that's that that's the right choice so i think there isn't a one solution fits all and i think the whole idea of the terroir of food and eating locally and doing what makes sense for your community and where you're from has a lot of basis to it yeah yeah and then you understand the pushback on the factory farming and all that stuff because of course that just doesn't oh, seem sure. you know so it's it's understandable that i'm i'm struggling with that myself with darren Darren hunting now and I'm deciding whether to eat more or less meat, to be honest. I, you know, I don't really want to go out and hunt for myself, but I, do I, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a struggle, but I've, I think I've also heard somewhere about eating local helps with chronic conditions as well, which is a big problem now. And I'm trying to remember where, where I heard that, but somebody, somebody had healed uh, a bunch of chronic conditions just by eating, eating locally as well. So that wouldn't really surprise me. Yeah, and that might fit into the microbiome yeah, issue yeah. again, and also getting away from the highly processed foods and 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 just again like knowing where things come from. Like I think I've, I mean, I don't can't give you the facts, but I've definitely heard that soy, for example, you know, is one of the highest pesticide uses to grow soy. So like, does you you got to weigh all the factors when yeah. you're making making your choices for sure yeah are you planning on like taking this any further in the future what now that the film's out and uh you know you're pushing the film and on and make sure we rem remind you that we got to tell people where to watch it and all that and how to get it but um you know is there yeah. any is there anything for like a book or more of a more of a um, instruction manual kind of thing for communities that could start putting this together because i could see it being a long arduous process if you don't have anybody to learn from yeah for sure i mean there's there's several things that i hope are going to happen now that the film is finally finished and and out there in the world i mean one is i hope that the film will have a long tail life and that either yeah. virtually now or later when we're allowed to gather that we can do a lot of community screenings of the film and bring people into the room and have panel discussions about issues local to each community and help people in each community uh, learn how to access local food and to celebrate the local food that can be produced in their area. So I think that's a, that's a big goal of mine. Um, and funny that you mentioned the book idea, because that is also another idea that's percolating is, is, is to put some of these lessons learned into book form kind of in an entertaining way with some anecdotes and some beautiful photography, but a lot of the sort of the how to's, you yeah, know, like yeah. how, 
how do you make sugar out of sugar beets, for yep. example, and and the million ways to use nasturtium seed pods that people just let go in their garden and different kinds of spice spice blends that you can forage probably just outside your door. Um, so, um, yeah, that's definitely in the in the idea stage. Yeah. So hopefully that will come to fruition because I, I do I, this is a, um, an issue that I feel passionately about yeah. and that I think is it's really important to to shorten that food chain and to empower communities to be in touch with their food and um, and for consumers to be able to promote the producers as much as possible so we can have these really strong local ecosystems. And, you know, and it also comes to things like learning how to preserve food again, you know, taking a canning course and, and, and paying attention to our indigenous communities and that traditional knowledge um, about, you know, these important plants from the land and important food sources and all parts of the animal. And again, just like all these, these factors and all these people in our communities that have a really good understanding of what the land that we're each living on can do for us and how important it is to protect it so it can feed us and living with living with it and and in in resonance with it instead of against it and pushing pushing against it yeah yeah for sure and i think like you know like when you have that strong connection to the to your food and to the people and the animals and the land that provided it, like you gain such an appreciation for those people, animals and land, and then you want to protect them. And, um, and that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a great idea. I'd like to know, like, we'll have to keep in touch when your book comes out, we'll have to, or like, who knows how long down the road, but we'll have to, we'll help you uh, get that out there as well. Yeah, so should we talk about where people can see the film? Yeah, but I do have one question. How did your kids feel uh, health-wise? Did they notice a difference at all? I know, because I know it's a little bit different with the, you know, the awareness around that kind of stuff. I mean, I didn't... Yeah, my my daughter, Kate, especially, she she definitely recognized how healthy she felt eating local. Um, And she was she was 15. So, yeah, I think they they all did. I mean, they were not, you know, here's the reality there. They were 17, 15 and 12. Um, So the rule was no grocery store food in the house. But you know, when they were out of the house, they made their own decisions. So they weren't a hundred percent like, like I was and like Gerard was. Um, so, so maybe they didn't see the same dramatic changes that we did, but they, they certainly Kate talked quite a bit about just at the end of the year, how, how healthy she felt. And what also is interesting is this past year with the pandemic taking away their usual jobs, uh, all my kids volunteered on or worked for local farmers this wow. summer, oh. which was super cool, I think, because they just got even a deeper understanding of where their food was coming from and what it took to produce it. Yeah. And Sam, he was out in the bush for about a month foraging for morale mushrooms for a, a cash crop so he got a a really good 
sense of the, you know, the, the work that goes along with foraging, but also how to do it sustainably and just that connection to the land. Nice. So, you know, there was, there was a lot of pushback during the year for sure. Um, as you would expect from three teenagers and having their mother take all their favorite foods out of the house for the year. But, um, yeah, I, I do feel that, that deep down there, they definitely also, um, were affected in a positive way by the experience. Yeah. I think it's important time for people to watch this moving. People are leaving the cities, you know, they're, 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 there's either people sort of trying to get people back into the cities, but there's a bunch of people that just want to go live off the land a little bit, or at least get closer to that. So, I mean, the timing is impeccable for this experience to be shown like this in a documentary. Yeah, I agree. I, I hope it, like, I hope the film is inspiring for folks. I mean, there's, there's, um, you know, well, I mean, you, you watched it. There's a, a lot of humor in the film. It's a, it's a story first. So, so there's lots of entertainment and, and humor and I, and I hope it's, it's uplifting, which we could all use these days as yep. a little uplifting uh, news and inspiring. And, and, but you know, like, I mean, you know, I, I certainly don't expect people to go do what, what I did, which was a little on the crazy extreme side, but even no matter where you live, like even in, in urban centers, like there's ways to, you know, well, there's ways to access local food from outside your and around your city, but there's also ways to produce food even within the city. You know, there's a, a there's an amazing book called Eat the City, which is all about all the food production that happens in the heart of New York City, one of the biggest cities in the world. And so, you know, whether it's something small like growing a few herbs on your windowsill or planting, a, you know, a potting bag with to make it into a lettuce tower in the summer on your balcony or, or maybe at your workplace, instead of putting ornamental shrubs outside your office building, you plant berry bushes or snap peas that people can graze on as they walk by. Like there's, <laughs> That's a great idea. You know, there's, there's all, all kinds of ways to make our green spaces and our growing spaces edible, um, whether we're urban or rural. So yeah. yeah, I, I, I hope it's inspiring for folks. I hope it inspires folks to just start to look at the labels when they go to the store everything says where it comes from just have a look you know and think about how far that's coming from and then yeah. think okay wait a minute like maybe there's frozen spinach that was produced in my province and i could have that now instead of spinach yeah. that's come fresh from yeah. halfway across the world and has no nutrition left in it yeah good point the, the other thing before I forget, I, I, I almost forgot to ask you this. Do you think that um, that eating three meals a day, like, did you notice eating less? Like, were you guys eating less or, or were you um, were you able to eat less or was it, you know, because your stomachs kind of adjust to and, I, and and we've thrown around the idea here a little bit. And you see these people doing the, uh, the, these other diets where they eat one big meal a day or they do intermittent fasting. And it makes me think as you know, ancestors going back when, when we're hunting and gathering that we have a hunt and we get all this, but then we might have to go a ways without it. Like, I feel like we're in this three meal a day thing from, you know, the cereal companies and the, and the food, you know, the, the propaganda from the food corporations, like, do we really need three big meals a day? Or, you know, did you guys notice a difference in that type of thing? Like how much you actually ate? 
um, you know, I think what I noticed was less lunch and less snack food. So we would have a big hearty breakfast and yep. we would have a big hearty supper. Yeah, yeah. Um, lunch would be more meager and, you know, snack food was basically carrots, dried meat or a glass of milk. so um yeah so that's where i noticed it most so yeah i i don't know if i can comment on the you know the The one snake diet pre-meal but yeah (laughs) it's 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 hard to know but that's kind of how it developed for us over that year yeah and maybe you know maybe that was purely just practically because breakfast foods and dinner foods were easy to figure out and lunch food was incredibly difficult without <laughs> bread and peanut yeah. butter and bagels. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other thing that, that I should mention that came about from this, as far as eating habits goes, was eating seasonally. Yes. And that I also think is really important. You know, like I have, um, not had a lettuce salad now since September and I'm not going to again until June or July. And I'm okay with that. Like my salads now are, you know, cabbage and kohlrabi and carrot and it's delicious. And there's a, there's an old saying that in the summer we eat above the ground and in the winter we eat below the ground. And I really found that, you know, this, when fall comes, I crave the root vegetables. And when spring comes, I'm craving the the leafy greens. And there is, there is actually a lot of joy in eating seasonally because when you do eat things, they taste at their best and they're the most nutritious. I, I mean, I remember growing up when the only time we got a mandarin orange was at Christmas and how special that was and how delicious that was. And I think now, you know, you can get a mandarin orange any time of year, but it's lost its its appeal. So, you know, why why do we think we have to have a fresh cucumber or a fresh tomato in February? Like we don't. We could have canned tomatoes, you know, in February that were grown and preserved when they're at their height of flavor and nutrition. And um, we can, I still make stir fries in the winter, but I use things that I can freeze like zucchini and peppers or root vegetables in there, like cabbage and carrots, and it's all good. And that might be a real big aspect towards the health part. I mean, if you're eating seasonally, you're with, you're resonating with the land, you're in tune, you're in tune with the land, you're, you're in tune with the, with the weather, with all that stuff, you know, it's, it makes sense. Um, yeah, it becomes very hol- holistic without yeah. even trying. Yeah, and if you guys can do it up there in Dawson City where you're, what, minus 30, minus 40 in the winter, you've got a tiny summer, it doesn't even get dark. Um, if you guys can do it there all year round, then almost anywhere can do it. You bet. You yeah. bet. Excellent. Yeah. Well, where, where can people watch the show? What's the best place for them to get it? Yeah, so it's currently having a theatrical run across the country, but the theaters are all closing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's now having what we call a virtual theatrical, which, you know, is is unfortunate because you're not going to be able to see the majestic Yukon on the big screen in a theater. But it's got the advantage that anybody can see it anywhere in Canada from home. So if you go to the film's website, firstweeat.ca, to current screenings, 
you can go down the list and anything that talks about virtual basically you can you can click on that you can support a theater if there's a theater on there in your area or you can go to um the blue ice docks option there and that one's available to anybody across canada and you basically buy a theater ticket but watch it at your convenience from home nice so, um silver lining of covid yeah exactly way more way more accessible for the next few weeks anyway while yeah. it's still doing this circuit Right on. Well, it's been a great chat. I mean, I'll put all the links in the show notes um, for people as well. They can just click on there and get to your, get to your stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for your interest. And we'll hope that Darren um, can help fill the freezer full of meat. <laughs> oh yeah. That you've got naturally harvested, you know, free range organic meat for your winter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing that. I think it was a really important uh, documentary and really important time. And I'm sure people will uh, be inspired by it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Teach me all your secrets to get a good handle on a better way to live. How does one get out of bed every day in the throes of the apocalypse? Should I bury my head in the sand? sabotage their evil plan I feel really trapped an ant burned by a magnifying glass it's all a little bit too convenient all the evidence went up in flames phonies fraudster scammers belong in the slammer my friend best give up their names should I call a militia man or pass out a petition pen. I feel really trapped. An ant burned by a magnifying glass. I don't know what y'all been told, but I got a soul made out of gold. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. Cadence count. One, two. A three, four. Some time ago, a crazy dream came to me. I dreamt I was walking into World War III As prophetic as humanity As aching bones As frantic animals Sophia wrote it down Built an ark, now she floats it down Thoughts for the life of me over the din of a bruised and broken culture. The media spins and splatters and spins and clatters and I cringe because it's psychological warfare. Don't you feel yourself getting really mad? How did we let it get this bad? Don't you feel really trapped like a brain in a vet? to close Pandora's box but sirens are singing me off a cliff I'm looking to hitchhike to Shangri-La over yonder Sophia would you give me a lift hopped out of the Hegelian rebellion say goodbye to all you Machiavellians let evil destroy itself I'm bound for Shangri-La 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 Thank you.
I'll let you be in my dream if I could be in yours. I'll let you be in my dream if I could be in yours. That's prophetic as morning doves, as groundhogs, as fallen stars above. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now we're floating it down a river dark. As
ca slash support crimeamerica.ca slash support fee fiddly i o and tell them felix sent you there